Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? I got five dollars. This is a run to the left. How many tackles can one man break? You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. My goodness, that was good. You guys are pros. Bats. Relentless, refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Flex podcast presented by Prize Picks. I'm your host, Samantha Praviti. On today's episode of 21 Questions, I am so happy to be joined by the one and only John Paulson, who is the director of forecasting at 444 Football, who you can find on Twitter at 444 underscore John. Welcome to the Fantasy Flex, John. How was your week 13? Well, week 13 wasn't too bad. Uh, I think I won most of my matchups, but it's not quite over with the Bills and Patriots tonight. But thanks for having me on. I think we're getting ready for the game in about an hour. So looking forward to it. Yes, there's always something to do in this industry, for sure. I really appreciate you sparing some time from your very busy life. Um, week 13 was interesting. I a very decisive week, I feel like, or at least could be decisive in some matchups. Like some of them that I was like way favored, I lost. And then, of course, like ones that I was like trailing, like projected to lose by 30 points. I won. So it was kind of like a weird week in that sense, but um, I'll take the wins. Uh, All right, John, let us just hop right in. Question one is what year did you start playing fantasy and did you win your first league? I think it was when I was in college. I'm going to date myself. It was 93, 94, somewhere in there. And the very first league I played in was uh, an ESPN league where you you paid 20 bucks and you got to be in the league and then the, if you won which i did uh you get a like a espn leather bomber jacket like a letterman's jacket Ooh, that's really and then cool. yeah which was pretty cool it was actually like a you know 150 200 jacket and then the next year they gave away a t-shirt so they figured out that they could sell a lot of uh teams without having to give a give away a good prize um but yeah that, that was probably my first time because i really hadn't found anybody around that had played a lot and uh so i went online and then uh, i started my own league there at, at, at college that's awesome did you have you played other formats uh sorry like other sports fantasy baseball fantasy basketball and all that too i haven't done any fantasy baseball i'm just not a baseball fan but i have played uh fantasy basketball uh, I was in a league for years um, and it just got to be too much because it's kind of an everyday, like baseball, it's an everyday thing to sort of manage your team. Um, and now I just play, I, I just played fantasy football, I think for the last I don't know, 10 years or so. Fair enough. I only do fantasy football. I've just noticed a lot of the people that I've had on have said that their like, entry point to fantasy was baseball, even if they are like majority football now. So uh, I just find that interesting. Um, what are the best and worst parts about playing fantasy football for you? I think it has to be the injuries and just especially as like a fantasy football analyst where I'm trying to project uh, stats for every player in every game. 
uh, it, it gets frustrating to have just an injury knock a player out that you know you had ranked highly or was in a really good spot. Uh, so that that has to be the most frustrating thing, especially you know you get into drafts and you, you take somebody in the first round and then game three or week three they're they're out. That just uh, that's the tough part of fantasy football. It's such a physical, violent sport that um, the injuries are the are the worst part. And the best part for you? A winning, I'm sure. It's 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 being able to beat my friends and talk trash and be smug about it. But I try to, I, I believe in karma, not really, but I kind of believe in karma. So if you start talking trash too early, it usually comes back to bite you. So I wait until the championship's over before there's a, really any major trash talk. I definitely like that. I wouldn't want to jinx myself too, too much. My favorite part is the community and getting to interact with people like you and uh, really just meeting so many people and having that be like the connecting thread for all of us and something that we're all really passionate about. So I think that that's really cool. All right, jumping into the actual football stuff, we are going to kick it off with a segment called the burn book, which is of course a mean rules reference. So as fantasy managers, it's so easy to have recency bias, especially if a player has burned us either due to injuries or a bad week. We are going to run through five players and I'd like you to briefly tell us how confident you are in that player moving forward or if they are in your burn book. And I'm sorry that this reference may be lost on you, but uh, in Mean Girls, there's like a book and they write mean things about uh, people that they don't like. So our first player is Carson Wentz. The Colts tacked on 31 unanswered points on Sunday against the Texans, but it was once again the Jonathan Taylor show. Wentz completed 16 of 22 attempts for 158 yards and one touchdown, good enough for 11 fantasy points and a QB 23 finish. Is Wentz droppable with the bye week plus New England and Arizona on deck after that? It's pretty ugly looking at his schedule. I was going to mention that. And, you know, I had uh, Wentz ranked as like a low-end QB1, high-end QB2 this week due to a pretty favorable matchup against the the Texans. But as you mentioned, it's just the Jonathan Taylor show. So if they can get the ball inside the five, they're probably not going to risk uh, throwing the ball too much. It's probably going to be uh, Jonathan Taylor running it in. Uh, he's been not bad this year. You look at his game log and just lots of two-plus touchdown games. But then when he's when he's not throwing touchdowns, it's pretty low yardage, under 200 yards, uh, not running a whole lot. Uh, so, yeah, I think coming out of the, you know, you got the buy in this week and you've got the Patriots. That's that's bad. The, the Cardinals are uh, number three in our adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks as well, which is pretty bad. Uh, he does have a good week 17 matchup, so you might want to look him up then if you're still in trouble at quarterback. Fair enough. Yeah, I think he is droppable, at least for me in most formats, um, just because I don't like to roster two quarterbacks. Um, all right. The next guy we're going to talk about is James Robinson. So he was a dud in week 13 and scored just two fantasy points and half PPR, finishing his RB 51. He has been banged up all year, though, due to various injuries. He was on the injury report with the heel and knee injury this week. So my question is, are we burning him out of the must start territory? I think you're looking uh, ahead with uh, with James Robinson and you're, you're wondering if the, if the matchups are going to be, you know, conducive to him scoring. And the problem last week with the Rams is they fall behind. He also had a fumble and it just kind of got ugly. Uh, he's up against Tennessee in week 14, which is not really a great matchup for running backs. He's got Houston and then the Jets in week 15 and week 16. So it sort of depends on his practice activity this week. And if he's, you know, if he's full, if he gets in a full practice and 
it looks like he's getting closer to full health and I have more confidence in him. But right now it may almost seem like this week he might not even play. It was a game time decision. And then the funnel gave him an excuse to get Carlos Hyde more involved. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but he's been pretty steady this year. Robinson, he's been a pleasant surprise. Um, is he a must start? I don't think so. I think you're probably going to see him ranked in the 15 to 25 range now, instead of, you know, top 15, like he was before. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer because I feel like he doesn't have like a really strong backup. Carlos Hyde is just not like the guy that you're going out and spending all your fab on. Uh, but those, I guess, are kind of few and far between. So I would, I hope that we have a little bit more clarity earlier in the week, but I, we probably won't. And to your point about game script, I mean, it feels like the Jags are going to fall behind in a lot of games, which won't favor the run. So Definitely not the best outlook for Robinson. Um, all right. The next guy we're going to talk about is Ezekiel Elliott. So he outtouched Tony Pollard last week, but Pollard had the much better day for fantasy. Seven carries for 71 yards and a touchdown and caught a pair of passes for three yards. It was his fourth consecutive finish in the top 24. With the knee injury and Pollard looking like he may be the more effective runner just like right now. Are we burning Zeke out of that RB1 tier? Yeah, we are. He's he's being ranked, as you see my son right racing out of here, forgot that he had, I had a podcast right now. We are. <laughs> I mean, uh, Zeke is no longer an RB1 for me. I had him ranked 18th this week. Uh, I was low on him versus the industry consensus. He still gets enough touches, but just the explosion is not there. And then they're, they seem to be working Pollard in more and more. Uh, and I don't know how that doesn't continue if Zeke is, his knee is banged up like they are saying it is. So I certainly would have him, you know, ranked as an RB2. Maybe I really wanted to rank Pollard over Zeke this week and I couldn't pull the trigger. And I still still don't think I can because the touches are there for Zeke. Um, they're still feeding him the ball. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think RB1 is kind of out of the question at this point unless we start to see the Zeke of old. Uh, do you, for rest of season, do you have them both ranked like in the in a similar position? Yeah, they're getting closer and closer every week. Uh, it it's just the the problem is you know, Pollard is clearly the more explosive and more productive player on a per touch basis now. It's just the number of touches that Zeke commands every game. So until they start um, featuring Pollard or giving him more touches than Zeke, it's hard to rank him higher. All right. Uh, the next guy we're going to talk about is Terry McLaurin. It's been a very up and down season for McLaurin with more downs than ups. The year three wideout, who was drafted as a fringe wide receiver one, has eight games with single digit fantasy performances over 12 games played. My question is, is he even, does he even stay in this wide receiver two territory moving forward or is he too volatile? You know, if you go to the game log at four for four and it really highlights what you're saying, because we've, you know, last week against Vegas, three for 22, uh, they were a red matchup in our adjusted fantasy points allowed metric. Uh, Seattle also a red matchup. He had four for 51. The previous week, uh, he had like a neutral matchup against the Panthers. They're 14th in adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to receivers. He had five for 103 and a touchdown on seven targets. Tampa, another neutral matchup, six for 59 and eight. So it's just been basically a matchup play. And at this point, you're looking at McLaurin, uh, you know, week 14, he's got Dallas. So I would certainly start him against uh, Dallas. Philly in week 15 is uh, probably he's going to be ranked closer to 20 than he is going to be ranked 20, like 10th. And then he's got Dallas again in week 16 and Philly again in week 17. So it's good, bad, good, bad. And I think you can probably expect those types of games from from him, uh, you know, you know, with, with Dallas, especially 
uh, Washington having to throw the ball more than they probably want to uh, should really, you know, give him a nicer floor than what he's been seeing. But I think against Philly, it might be tougher. Gotta love the playing in the NFC least. Get a lot of good matchups out of that. Um, do you see Trayvon Diggs shadowing with McLaurin this week? Yeah, he, he probably will. Uh, and that, that does make it a little bit worrisome, but you look at Dallas as a whole, and I try to, like, it, uh, offensive coordinators have a way of moving guys around and getting them, you know, off of a bad matchup like that. So he won't be shadowed uh, 100% of the time, but uh, even so, I think he's a talented enough player that he can produce against the, the you know, Dallas team that's 29th and just fancy points allowed to receivers. Well, I hope you're right about that because I have a, a number of shares of McLaurin this year. All right, the final guy we're going to talk about in the segment is Noah Fant. He was drafted as a top 12 guy this year, and he's tight end 14 on a per game basis in half PPR. So it's really hard to call him a bust. That said, he seems to have suffered from the Broncos anemic passing attack and his decline coincides sort of with the return of Jerry Judy as he has not posted double digit fantasy performance uh, points rather since week six. Is it fine to cut bait? with Fant in favor of someone on the waiver wire? Yeah, if there's somebody out there that's interesting, he is sort of always ranked in that low tight end one to high tight end, more of a high tight end two right now uh, in the 10 to 15, 10 to 16 range. Uh, Albert O is also a problem for him. It, when he was out, uh, Fant was seeing more targets and more snaps. Uh, it's just it's just been tough in Denver because the passing game is not enough to support all the different pass catchers that they have. You look at Cortland Sutton, how his numbers have declined since Judy's uh, return. And the same things happen with Fant, with Judy and Alberto returning. The one upside, I think, with Fant is that he's got a series of nice matchups coming up, Detroit, Cincinnati, uh, Vegas, and the Chargers, and they're all 14th or worse and are just fantasy points allowed to tight ends metric. So, the you know, they're at least uh, decent dart throws for, for Fant uh, the next uh, four weeks. Gotta love those matchups. Would you, like Tyler Conklin or Noah Fant rest of season? He's a guy that's widely available. I think he's about 30% rostered on Yahoo Yahoo leagues. So he's a guy that, you know, you could replace fan with possibly. Yeah. I think it's worth a look now that Adam Thielen is injured. Uh, there's going to be some targets up for, up for grabs there. I think KJ Osborne is going to get a few of them, but um, Conklin certainly was more involved against uh, Detroit than he has really been in the last few weeks. So I think he, that's a, that's not a bad move. I don't think, I mean, Fant is a much better, more productive player, but usage is really key in fantasy, as you know, and he's just, you know, four targets the last two weeks. It's just not enough. There are so many guys I feel like in situations that are very frustrating, like Jerry Judy on his own team, you know, uh, Cortland Sutton, highly, highly talented guy, but they're kind of all being made mediocre, rendered mediocre by this offense and by each other. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a bummer because Noah Fan is obviously a crazy talented, crazy athletic guy. Next up here on the Fantasy Flex is our elite entry segment where I dive into the Prize Picks app to build some entries. I'll identify some markets I like, you build your own Prize Picks entries, and all of us have a little fun and make some money. So today I'm going to look at four NFL Week 14 quarterback plays on Prize Picks. The first play I like is Kirk Cousins under 255 and a half passing yards at home versus the Steelers. Kirk would have smashed the over in three of the last four contests 
including last week against the Lions in which he passed for 340 yards. That said, he's going to have a much more formidable adversary than the lowly Lions this week against Pittsburgh, who are allowing just 233 passing yards per game. Cousins could also be without Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen for this contest. I like him to go under 255 on the short week on Thursday night. The next play I like is Zach Wilson over 205 and a half passing yards at home versus the Saints. Wilson would have hit the over in just one of two games since he's been back and four of seven full games he's played this year. So it's like just over half. That said, the Saints run defense is really scary. So if the Jets are going to do anything, I feel like it's going to have to be through the air. They have super talented pass catchers, including Elijah Moore. And I know Corey Davis is out, but they they can definitely put something together. And this number just feels egregiously low. Another play I like is Jake Fromm under 169 and a half passing yards on the road versus the Chargers. Fromm will likely get the start this week, but I expect it to be ugly first. There are multiple members of the Giants receiving core that are banged up, and Saquon Barkley just has not looked the same since returning. The Chargers have been super stingy this year against the pass, which has been a stark contrast to their awful run defense. They're allowing just 209 passing yards per game. That ranks seventh best in the NFL. This will also be the 2025th rounder's first NFL start. He was on the Bills practice squad before getting signed by the Giants a week ago. His lack of experience, the injured receivers, and the matchup make me think this could go under. The final play I like is Matt Stafford under 285 and a half passing yards on the road in Arizona. Stafford is averaging just 300 passing yards per game over the last two weeks and over 300 on the season. He went just under this number in week four in these two teams' first meetings completed 26 to 41 for 280 yards. This Cardinals defense though is objectively tough and they are just allowing 205 passing yards per game this year. That's the fourth fewest in the NFL. He's also super banged up. He's less healthy than he was in week four and this just gives me under vibes. All right, so that is our elite entry today, going with Kirk Cousins under 255 and a half passing yards at home versus the Steelers, Zach Wilson over 205 and a half passing yards at home versus the Saints, Jake Fromm under 169 and a half passing yards on the road versus the Chargers, and Matt Stafford under 285 and a half passing yards on the road in Arizona. As a reminder, you can mix and match fantasy points and player props to make your lineups super spicy. I'll surprise fix markets moves. You will want to be nimble to lock in the best numbers and make your picks as soon as possible. If you have not created a prize fix account, please check out the link in our episode description because prize fix has a special offer for fantasy flex listeners. They will match your first deposit up to $100. Just click the link in our episode description or visit prizefix.com and use promo code action 10. All right, let us just keep it moving here on 21 Questions with John Paulson. All right, that'll do it for the burn book. Our next segment is called Full Send or That's Cap. Full Send means you are going head first, you're diving in, you love it, you're all in. Um, and That's Cap, it just means like, no, I'll pass. It's not real or whatever. So this is kind of sort of the opposite of the last segment. I'm going to give you five players whose values are on the rise. And I want to know, are you sending it on this player or is that cap? So the first player is Taysom Hill. It was not pretty, but Hill did get the job done for fantasy purposes. Four picks were erased by a 100 rushing yard game. And he finished as QB4 for the week. We do have one game left to play. 
Are we going full send on Hill as a fringe QB1 rest of season or is trusting him in this kind of volatility cap? I think if not for this mallet finger thing that he's got now, um, I would be all in on, uh, you know, a low end QB1 rest of season ranking for him. I mean, you do worry a little bit that he's going to get benched, you know, for a bad play or whatever. But I mean, this week's game is the beauty of Taysom Hill in, in that he can have four picks and still finish top five probably at, at the position because of his rushing yards. He did throw two touchdowns too. I think two of the picks were not his really his fault and the two of them were just awful. Um, but the 100 yards uh, rushing really helped uh, alleviate all that. Again, I think it's just the injury that has me a little bit worried that maybe the throwing isn't going to be as, you know, as good as he can, his best, I should say. Um, but his legs should offset that. I think, I think if he's really limited at all as a passer, they're just going to move on uh, and try to win some games with another quarterback. But um, if they, if they intend to start him, I think he's going to be a fairly safe start. Yeah. I mean, you got to love the rushing floor and it's not like you need a finger to to run the ball. So uh, he's just an exciting name for sure. Uh, hopefully he can return on value for some people that are needy at quarterback. All right. The next guy we're going to talk about is Kenny Gainwell. Miles Sanders exploded in week 13 against the Jets, but ultimately re-injured his ankle, which has been an issue kind of for multiple games, could force him to miss time. The injury gave way to a major performance from Gainwell, who saw 17 touches for 87 all-purpose yards and a touchdown, while Boston Scott wasn't used at all. In fairness, Scott was on the injury report with an illness all week, so he didn't practice. So it's hard to say if that's like really reflective of how they would have used him if he were at full strength. But depending on the severity of Sanders' injury, are we trusting Gainwell after the Eagles' Week 14 bye? Yeah, this is an interesting segment because I can't say that I'm full send on on Gainwell knowing what has happened in that backfield over the last month. Uh, It's become one of the most frustrating backfields. We talk about Bill Belichick and Kyle Shanahan being really annoying for fantasy, but this has been, I think, one of the worst backfields for fantasy this year. Yeah, and then you've got Jordan Howard, who's on the shelf, and if he comes back, what happens with him? Because he looked like he was ahead of Boston Scott and Miles Sanders for, or at least, you know, in a three-way committee with them. Uh, I think if if you're assuming Howard is out and now you're assuming Sanders maybe misses a game or two with this ankle injury, it looked pretty bad in terms of his limping, but we'll see. Uh, Certainly Gainwell earned some touches with a pretty good performance. I mean, 17 touches, 54 yards, uh, rushing 33 yards, receiving, um, got the touchdown, and he had some pretty good plays earlier in the season, but he just sort of went to the shelf uh, recently. Uh, and when Scott was healthy, he was well ahead of Gainwell. He was, you know, getting more carries than Sanders was uh, two weeks ago. So uh, I would assume some sort of committee with those two and Gainwell probably getting more reception, uh, receptions and Scott getting more carries if, if Scott has a good week of practice. Um, that said, if you are in need of a running back, beggars can't be choosers right now. If you're trying to scramble and try to find somebody to start, uh, Gainwell's worth a, a pretty hefty bid because what are you saving your money for right now on the, on the free agent acquisition budget? You know, it's 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 tough out there for, in the streets for, for running backs. Fair, fair enough. I am just bummed that I didn't go 100% in on Elijah Mitchell in week two. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I would like to fancy myself at least an average fantasy player. And I just cannot get this backfield, right? Like whatever week 
it is whatever, like I choose one of the running backs and I think that they're going to be the guy that week and it's wrong. Like all signs one week pointed to Gainwell. I started Gainwell in multiple leagues. He had like two fantasy points. So it's been very, very frustrating. Um, I mean, maybe like attrition will kind of give it a little more clarity this week, but we shall see. All right. The next game we're going to talk about is a very popular name on fantasy Twitter, Javante Williams. He did not disappoint when given the reins to this backfield, posted a season high 29 touches for 178 scrimmage yards and a touchdown. Currently the RB1 heading into Monday Night Football. Melvin Gordon is expected to practice ahead of the Broncos week 14 matchup against the Lions. So this could make Javante season a little dicey. I'm asking, are we going full send on Javante or will Gordon's presence make this cap? I saw a tweet that said that Gordon was, you know, going to return to practice this week. And all I could hear is a bunch of people booing in my head. (laughs) Uh, I think, I think everybody, but uh, managers who have Gordon rostered are, you know, wishing that this would be the Javante Williams show after what he did uh, last night. Uh, It was a really impressive uh, game for him. Um, Looking forward, he has four green matchups, uh, Detroit, Cincinnati, Vegas, and the Chargers. So I, if it's full send that he's going to be a fancy RB1 the rest of the way, no, I think he's probably still going to split time with, with Gordon, uh, unless they decide, you know, they just want to hand the keys to the, you know, the backfield to him and let him go and, uh, you know, have him as more of the lead back with Gordon as sort of the, you know, backup that gets 10 touches, but you know, what we've seen so far this year is just basically a down the middle 50-50 split. I think Javante will be startable given those matchups, though. I mean, he's been pretty startable even in that split um, throughout the season. He has some bad games here and there, but he's gone double digits several times and uh, finds the end zone here and there. So I think given the matchups that he has down the stretch, I think he's going to be uh, startable. I just wouldn't expect, you know, week 13 production every every week the rest of the way unless Gordon's out. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, the the Broncos have obviously leaned very heavily on the run game with their somewhat deficient passing game, uh, which has made both of them fantasy relevant in multiple matchups like they're they're both startable in certain match in certain matchups this year. I feel like we were seeing a little bit of a trend towards Javante with the touches um, and like snap counts kind of going a little mm-hmm. bit in his direction even before the injury and it's kind of one of those things I'm like wondering like can you put the genie back in the bottle like it, Broncos fans want to see this and I, I know that doesn't really matter but like it, it it's really impressive and that's their future so I think it could be interesting if they do start transitioning more of that direction all right uh next up is Amon Ross St. Brown which I will just say was one of my preseason sleepers, uh, been a little sleepy, but uh, he exploded in week 13 against the Vikings, caught 10 of 12 targets for 86 yards and a touchdown. This depth chart is bereft of talent, so there is a clear path for St. Brown to be their number one. My question is, could St. Brown return on flex value? Like, could he have flex value in the right matchups or is trusting any Lions wideout cap? I think uh, it's dicey uh, to count on him in the in, in your flex or in a you know wide receiver three spot. Uh, just looking at his targets throughout the year, they've just been up and down, and he doesn't he's not like a super explosive player or anything. This was just by far his best game of the year. Prior to this, he hadn't scored more than thirteen point five fantasy points PPR. Uh, he had you know four or five games under 10 in the last six or seven games. So it's, it's kind of 
<laughs> you're you're kind of chasing points, I think. Uh, also, Josh Reynolds there, I sort of like him. Uh, he seems to have a pretty good rapport with his old quarterback, uh, Jared Goff. Um, St. Brown did have the big game against Minnesota. Um, I think you'd have to look at specific cornerback matchups uh, with St. Brown. So if he has a really bad matchup, just stay away from him in the slot. Because these slot, these slot receivers end up on the slot corners like, 90%, 100% of the time. So if you have a really tough slot corner, you might want to just bench him. Uh, but if he has a, if he has a good matchup with somebody that's terrible, uh, then he might be startable. There's definitely opportunity in this offense for somebody to step up, but I think it's a different guy each, you know, each week. Yeah, uh, there are a ton of touchdowns to go around in this offense. So <laughs> it, uh, it it may be just one guy every week and you don't know which guy. All right, the final guy we're going to talk about, you already alluded to him, is KJ Osborne. He had a sweet week 13 in Detroit, caught four of seven targets for 47 yards and a touchdown. Adam Thielen, of course, went down with that ankle sprain, which means it's I mean, unlikely, very unlikely. He plays on the short week against Pittsburgh. Are we going full send on Osborne this week? Yes, and I think maybe even rest of the season with feeling that high ankle sprain might be out three weeks or more. I don't know how he comes back. It depends on the grade of the high ankle sprain, but uh, I don't. I'm not super optimistic about the rest of the season for Adam Thielen. And the nice thing about Osborne is that we've seen him produce multiple times this year. I mean, he started with seven for 76 in week one. He had five for 91 and touchdown in week two. And everybody was running to the waiver wire to pick him up. And then, you know, he, he kind of suffered from being the wide receiver three in that offense and getting uh, them getting uh, Justin Jefferson more involved in, in the passing game, which was a wise move on their part. But he also had, you know, week six, six for 78 and a touchdown and seven targets. And then as soon as Thielen gets knocked out of this game, he, you know, catches a touchdown, 47 yards, four receptions, another seven targets. So I think he's, uh, along with maybe Kendrick Bourne, who is the, somehow the number 12 fantasy receiver since week three, um, Mike, he's not going to do much this tonight with the wind and snow and uh, Buffalo, but uh, those two, the two guys that, uh, on the waiver wire that I'd be picking up if I needed some receiver help. Yeah, that uh, number two receiver spot, which is now vacated from Thielen, uh, is is certainly an enviable thing in the Vikings offense. Thielen already had 10 touchdowns this year, so uh, it'll certainly be interesting to see Osborne see more targets. All right, John, we made it through all the serious fantasy stuff. Uh, we've got nine more rapid fire questions for you. We will get you out of here. So question 13 is, and name one player you just cannot quit or you always find yourself making excuses for? I think it has to be this year, especially Ryan Tannehill. Uh, he was my top plan at quarterback heading into the year. He was, you know, a bona fide QB1 uh, as a starter for Tennessee over the last, you know, year and a half. And he was getting Julio Jones. So I was excited about that. Uh, AJ Brown was obviously back. Uh, I felt like he was a shoe in, you know, low end QB one, mid range QB one. And um, some of our subscribers are mad at me for having drafted him. And, you know, I, I, th I think that as a 10th round pick, you can move on and find quarterback help elsewhere. Uh, I don't think that there was that much invested in him uh, really with that sort of level of pick, but I, I did find myself making excuses for him. I still think that he would have had a good year. Uh, it had everybody stayed healthy, but Brown's been hurt. Julio's been hurt. And uh, now he's being asked to do a little bit more because Derrick Henry's out, but of course Derrick Henry being out affects the offense negatively as well. So I'll definitely say Tanny is my, uh, the guy who just can't quit. He is certainly a guy that I was, I think pretty wrong about. I think the, 
Titans offense in general, I was pretty wrong about. I just thought they'd have a lot more explosion. And I, I know, I know their offensive line has maybe had their struggles as well. So I don't want to put all that blame on Ryan Tannehill, but yeah, he was QB seven last year, I believe. And I don't even want to check what he is, but he's probably in the twenties this season. All right. You did tell me that you're a Packers fan before this. So predict when the Packers will win their next Super Bowl. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be alive for it. I, after that, Seattle, I don't know if you remember, you might be too young, but the Seattle game several years ago where uh, the Packers had another Super Bowl trip uh, ready to go, and all they had to do was like cover an onside kick, and they didn't, and Seattle got the ball back and ended up winning and going and playing uh, New England, and then New England won, and that was the only, one and only time I was ever rooting for New England Patriots was to beat Seattle. I, I am not going to uh i don't know when they're I, I hope my son gets to see uh he's a packer owner quote unquote um so i've kind of forced him to be a packer fan by by making him a part owner in the team but i hope he sees it at least another super bowl and i'd like it to be this year with with rogers if it's his last dance um but boy when will they will in the next one i mean at some point they will but i, I can't even tell you when it will be it, it, it's either this year or it might be down the line of ways given the quarterback situation I will say that is the least optimistic answer I have gotten from anyone on this podcast. Well, I'm a half, I'm a half uh, glass, half empty person. So that, that's how I with the Packers anyway. Well, it's funny because I, I've just had like a disproportionate number of Bears fans on this podcast, like Adam Rank, like people, and like they all said like within the next five years and stuff. So mm, that's uh, very optimistic. It's it's quite optimistic, um, but and it's just interesting because you actually have the best team of probably anyone that's been on this podcast. So that um, praying for a Super Bowl this year, I guess for you. Um, Thank you very much. Speaking of the Packers, what needs do they need to address during the next year's draft? Well, we don't know what the team's going to look like heading into next season. I mean, if Jordan loves a quarterback and Devontae Adams moves on because he's a free agent, um, then they definitely need receivers uh, or at least one stud receiver. Uh, but we've been clamoring for that for years and years and years. They haven't drafted a receiver very early. Uh, I think it just everything happened. Everything depends on what Rogers does and are they trying to shore up their few weaknesses for one more Super Bowl run or are they just build rebuilding? So that's a tough. Uh, I mean, if you want to ask me that in about <laughs> six months and I'd have a better answer for it. Fair enough. I, I know it's a little premature, but uh, I, I feel like a lot of the people that have been on this podcast, they're already like they've written off their team season this year. So they were pretty happy to talk about next year. Looking forward. All right. If you could change one setting in every league, what would it be? I would like to uh, I'm a big proponent of uh, point per first down instead of PPR. I don't like the, uh, you know, nine catch for 35 yard uh, 12.5 PPR point days. Uh, so I, I would prefer to not reward for just making a simple catch and, you know, reward for, for first downs instead. I think that and it's doable now. A lot of, uh, sites will allow that in their scoring. And I think that's, uh, I think hopefully we, the fans football community moves that way, but I think PPR is pretty entrenched uh, across the board. 
Yeah, that's a that's an interesting thing. I I've been my longest league that I've been playing in is my most complicated league by far. It is a 16 team salary cap draft with seven IDP spots, deep benches and like the weirdest custom scoring you could ever imagine. Like it's basically like I don't like the commissioner doesn't want anyone to be able to rely on someone's just like off the cuff rankings and stuff like that so but I have they are a league that uh does reward for first down so I've been in that league for a while and certainly seems to make more sense than just PPR was Joe Flacco ever elite yes or no 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 I mean you could maybe right after the Super Bowl that he won you could maybe convince a few people that he was elite but no he's he was always a just a game manager but solid and knew enough not to make mistakes with the great defense that he had so no he wasn't he was never elite well most people that have been on this podcast agree with you uh, a couple of people have said things like he was elite for four games or six <laughs> games so uh who should managers top waiver ad be this week? I think probably Osborne. Uh, I suppose, you know, Bourne, depending on how he does tonight. I'm just not, I mean, there's, I saw the wind, the video of the wind there. I just don't think that the passing game is going to be doing a whole lot tonight. But if he if he scores another touchdown or has another long one, um, those two receivers, I think, are the prime ads. This week, maybe a Tennessee running back, a Foreman might be out there, Dontrell Hilliard might be out there. Um, it sort of depends on what your your needs are. Um, but I think certainly going, you know, the player that has seen his value rise the most since yesterday or the day before is probably Osborne. Yeah, he's the guy that I've been stashing in that 16-team league. But I have not had the fortitude to start him yet. And he's right. just been popping off on my bench. So well, I would I would I would say that when you have a talented third receiver. Uh, on a team that he's not doing much on a week-to-week basis, you do have twice the chance of something happening to one of the starters. So Jefferson getting injured or Thielen getting injured. It's almost like, you know, maybe like a James Washington or an Auden Tate like situation where you've got a chance with, if one of those players goes down, you have twice as much chance with, with a player that's the third, the third option. So I think it was good to stash him and now it's paying off for you. Hopefully it can get you the playoffs. Uh, give me one player you think is primed for a big fantasy season next year. Let's go back to Javante. I think, uh, you know, Nolan Gordon has been going to move on. I think it's his last year there in Denver. I didn't look check his contract, um, but I think it's his last year there. And he's, I mean, you're looking at Javante after last night, he's got 20, back-to-back 20-point games. Um, and he'd probably be going, I bet you he'll be going in the top five, you know, next August. So I, I would say Javante Williams. Over half of the people that have been on this podcast have said Javante Williams. Oh, I guess I'm pretty basic. (laughs) So basic. Uh, How many attempts would it take you to make an extra point? What's it? What's it at now? What's the 35 yarder? Is it the 30 yarder? Do you know? (laughs) No, no. Before when it was at the two yard line, I think it wouldn't have taken me that long. But a 35, 30 yard field goal, that would be probably a few tries. I was a pretty good soccer player, but uh, it's a big difference between that and kicking a football. Fair enough. It would take me infinity. And like, I don't even know. I feel like I would be like that. Is it like peanuts cartoon? Like whatever. Where like, but no one would have to remove the ball. I would just fall trying to kick it. So I am really athletic in like balance type sports and Mm -hmm. flexibility, anything that involves core. And I have zero hand, eye, foot, eye coordination. So there would be absolutely no shot in the world. It it definitely would take some 
like strength, like just being a kicking power. You have to have a little, a basic amount of that before you can even get it. And then you have to aim it, which is very difficult. So for sure. All right. Finally, if you had one cardinal rule to tell someone just getting into fantasy this year, what would it be? One cardinal rule. Um, I feel like I should have something prepared for that, but I don't. Uh, I would say, you know, don't draft your quarterback early. I think that's still, um, you know, you want a good quarterback, but you can get one late um, and you don't want to invest too early on that. So I would, I would definitely say wait on your quarterback would be the cardinal role that would get you off to a pretty good start in your draft. Cause if you do wait, you can load up on other positions and then finally find a, you know, a Tom Brady in the ninth round or Ryan Tannehill, even better. I do feel like we forget being in this echo chamber of fantasy Twitter and even just outside of Twitter, you work in the industry, you forget what the average draft looks like. And uh, people will come up to me and say like, oh, that's so cool. You work in fantasy football. Like I took Tom Brady in the second round. And like those things certainly do happen a lot. So that is good advice. All right. That will do it for this round of 21 questions with our esteemed guests, John Paulson. John, I cannot thank you enough for joining me during this insanely busy time. Please tell everyone where they can find you this NFL season. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at 444 underscore John. Uh, our website, 444.com, has really grown in the last 10 years since I've joined Josh Moore, uh, owner or former owner. We just uh, sold to uh, Betsperts, but um, has done a great job building a great team of uh, quality content, great stats, great tools. So uh, check it out. Thank you so much for coming on again. As a reminder, Sean Kerner and Chris Raybon are here on the Fantasy Flex every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, giving you guys all the DFS, waiver wire, and rankings info to help you dominate your fantasy leagues. I will be back this Thursday and every Thursday with my mailbag episode. Speaking of which, you should email any mailbag questions to mailbag at actionnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening. Please rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. Download us wherever you like to listen, and we will see you next time on the Fantasy Flex presented by Prize Picks. Peace out, y'all.